the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're being catapulted forward to the 32nd century in Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery on Netflix, sifting through the emotional wreckage of Sarah Pascoe's personal life in the Beeb's new sitcom Out of Her Mind, and finally getting a look at Lena Waithe's semi-autobiographical comedy Twenties, which arrives on BBC Three this week. Plus, Nick Frost beams in from home to have a chat with Boyd about his new show, Truth Seekers. I'm James Dyer and welcome to The Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has taken a vow of televisual celibacy this week in protest at HBO Max not showing the West Wing reunion special <laughs> on these shores. But while we can't watch Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Slammy's stage reenactment of the episode Hearts Fields Landing from season three, at least for now, we can do one better <laughs> because after 107 episodes and what must be at least 150 odd hours of me banging on about the West Wing as the greatest achievement in the history of the human race, Terry White, our Terry White, she of the misery porn and the gritty councillor state dramas, finally succumbed to my Sorkinese bombardment and sat down to watch the show. Now, did she love it for its peerless writing, its cracking dialogue, its glorious sets and intricate walk and talks, or did she find it a mawkish concoction of liberal wank fantasy that completely ignores the plight of the working class and fails to properly address the ordeals faced by women in the workplace? I genuinely don't know the answer because we've deliberately not discussed it until this moment. And you may be about to witness the explosive end of Terry and my friendship live on this very podcast. But, but enough build-up. Witnessed by our very own Boyd Hilton, the man who lent me his West Wing screen of VHS tapes 20 years ago, for which I remain grateful, Boyd, to this day, our very own Terry White will now review The West Wing. Look, the, the interesting thing about the two positions you just kind of posited, James, is they are not mutually exclusive positions <laughs> for while you know there is no real kind of addressing of the underclass in in the um, us of a there is certainly a a light touch around the real problem with gender politics this is a fucking masterpiece Oh my God, how have I lived without it in my life so far? And what my life has been since I started watching it, was, which was last Friday night. Um, you know, it's, it's hard as a woman who works full time with a baby of seven months, carving time out for myself without wanting to sound like a Tampax advert is incredibly difficult. <laughs> and, and normally, you know, I, I kind of bumble along quite nicely. The last week I found torturous because all I'm trying to do when I'm at work or I'm feeding my child or I'm meant to be asleep is thinking about when I can watch <laughs> The West Wing next. It is an all-encompassing, obsessive, incredible... <laughs> thing that I um, I just must apologize for not having this in my life before now and for thinking you were probably just full of shit because <laughs> I mean everything right the, I mean that pilot can I just say um the pilot it's itself is a masterpiece I like, am the lord your god and you shall have no other god before that, me that scene the writing in that scene and it's you know it, it's obviously it doesn't even need saying that Aaron Sorkin is one of the greatest living writers but 
the writing and the rhythms in that scene when Bartlett finally appears, the way in which he appears, the pacing of that strip. I mean, everything <laughs> about it was perfection. And I already love CJ, obviously. And, <laughs> and, and it weirdly, it's kind of like being in your head for an hour that's what watching an episode of the western is like it's like being in james dyer's head for an hour which before this i would have thought was like my idea of hell but actually it's an incredibly lovely comforting world to be in even as you know things unfold and tensions and whatever whatever goes on per episode it doesn't matter because the the framework of the West Wing and these incredible characters who are so incredibly well wrought and all this fascination of the machinery and the mechanics of how American mm. politics actually works. I honestly, and I'm now trying to both watch it all in one go and make it last forever, which is proving incredibly difficult. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of lost for words. What, what a remarkable, remarkable thing. So how many have you watched? So I watched the first six. Good, good, good. Which did Very mean, good. Which did mean pr pretty much watching them in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> and everybody, what I should say is kind of a PSA, is that everybody was asking me where they could watch it. So bizarrely, just me saying I was starting the West Wing had thousands of people <laughs> tweeting me and liking the tweet, um, literally. And a lot of people asking where they can watch it in the UK. The, you can watch it in the UK, but I suppose the slight bad news is that you do have to pay quite a lot of money. So Amazon has got the first season. I think it's six, 16 or 17 99 You can get the entire thing on Sky Store, but it's 64 99 in one go, which is obviously quite a lot of money. It's worth saying that that's only if you need it in HD, which the only way you can get it is on streaming. If you're prepared to watch it in standard definition, you can pick up the complete box set for Peanuts. Yes. I'm talking about pure yeah. streaming. Yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it's coming to all four soon. Don't tell me no. that because I've just paid sixty five quid. <laughs> I'm yeah, pretty the sure sixty five quid you ever spent. I'm yeah. Sorry. yeah. I mean people were <laughs> saying to me, sure sixty five quid, I can't afford sixty five quid, but in my head, right, I would happily pay sixty five quid for a good night out, right? And this is this is a life changing <laughs> thing of this is a life changer. This will change the way I feel about television, it'll change the way I feel about America, about politics, about Aaron, about me. About Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> it actually makes me love you even more, James, because like I feel like I weirdly understand you better. And also now we have a, a big connective thing. Like I, I think this is worth every penny. I know that you know money isn't in plentiful supply at the moment. What with one thing and another, but the thought that I could have this in my life for the rest of my days makes me incredibly, incredibly happy. And all everybody keeps saying to me is they wish they were experiencing it for the first time because I can tell you it feels exactly as good as you all remember it feeling. So, yeah, I think it arrives on all four next week. <laughs> the whole what fucking thing. the <laughs> yeah. fuck? Uh, uh, yeah, 21st. Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've that's got. That's painful. That my, is painful. my list. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's good for everyone else. It's good for everyone yeah. else. It's good for everyone yeah. else. So when is it, boy? What date is it? Uh, the twenty first of October. The twenty first of October. West Wing. Oh my god! Yeah. This is you know this yeah. is, this works out very well because we're reviewing it essentially now for everyone to watch it on the twenty first of November. That's just on my list. I was trying to find the official email from Channel Four, which I can't find. But 
but that that is what I've got on the on my list. Yeah, which I That's suppose would make exciting. sense. What with I presume they've done it due yeah. to the actual American right. elections. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But this is glorious. Yeah. It's like a public service. Oh, so much. The first five episodes, first six, you said so much good stuff in there. You got a proportional response. The third episode, which is one yeah. of my favourite episodes, his first military entanglement. I absolutely love that. And that's the one where Charlie starts. Yeah, but I also love. I love you know the whole thing in the first episode about how he was felt like he was seen as weak by the military men mm. and that on that insecurity. And I was it got me to thinking how all presidents must have their own insecurities, their own mm. part where they almost feel like it, I mean, apart from Donald Trump, who feel that <laughs> imposter syndrome we all feel in jobs, but that, that thought that was fascinating the way he felt like a kid again in front of those. And, oh, I mean, there's so much, so much to pick apart. Did you did you sit like in uh, episode four, five votes down, that walk and talk at the Biltmore Hotel that starts on stage, goes all the way down to the car, and it lasts about five minutes. That is incredible. Well, that first walk and talk, because I thought in episode one, that first walk and talk mm. where they show you the when entire... When Leo comes in. When Leo the comes in set. and you yeah. get the entire lay of the land, the the amount of <laughs> legwork done by that first one that walk and talk, I was just like, this is, from a filmmaking perspective, this is impeccable, remarkable. Absol- and that set is unbelievable. I mean, it really is. Oh God, I'm so happy! Like this is, and it's 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 actually coming at the expense of pretty much everything else. I have to say, because as you know, when I get obsessed with something, I get very obsessed with something. Um, but if there is anybody listening to this who has ever listened to this podcast and thought I'm not going to listen to the West Wing, especially not because James Dye keeps banging on about it, I say ignore that. Ignore that and please, <laughs> this is the greatest gift you can do to yourself. And in this world of daily fresh news horrors where everything feels out of control and everything feels um, wrong way round and, and like the good guys don't win anymore and, and and all of these things that feel true at the moment, you watch the West Wing and the world tips slightly back on its axes again. That's what it does for me. It does, it does. And once you're finished, Terry, you can look forward to reading my (laughs) 27,000-word oral history of the West Wing, complete with, and I kid you not, floor plans of their White House with arrows because I've plotted out the walk and talks. James. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. I said to you I wouldn't read it until I've done, and I won't. But I'm now really, really looking forward to that piece of journalism. I'll give you a thing to look out for as well. Every episode, well, not every episode, because you don't always see it, but uh, at some point you will see Gail the fish, which is a fishbowl on CJ's desk. And Gail tends to have uh, a prop in her fishbowl relating to the themes of that episode. So it's watching out for what's in the fishbowl. Needless yeah. to say, I have every, every grab fish- of every single fishbowl in my do. amazing feature. Of course you but, do. Uh, yes, yes. Wow. This has been the greatest of days. When you finish the 154 episodes, then you can watch the special... Maybe, maybe, maybe by that point well, it'll, it'll have arrived here. Tell us, Boyd, what's the deal with that? Because everybody's uh, no, asking. Yeah. Well, no Richard news. Schiff posted oh, yesterday on. saying he'd asked HBO Max if we would get to see it in the UK, and they've said they're working on it. So it oh, seems that good. there are at least okay. plans to maybe do it. I mean, it. how fucking long does it take to sort out? Well, Jesus yes, it's a very good point. But it's interesting. So I, I was reading a lot about that, and it's funny because it's for um, it's for a, a non part 
partisan sort of non-profit um, when we all, <laughs> non we all vote. My yeah. Ass. Well, yeah, this is the thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's an association with this non-profit, which is about getting people out to vote. And they, and they make a big deal of being non-partisan. But I mean, I, I've read about the actual show. It's the least non-partisan <laughs> event you've ever seen. Because not only do they have random people like, I think they had Samuel L. Jackson and obviously Michelle Obama and Bill Clinton, but everyone's dropping <laughs> yeah. sort of like sort of passag, subtle anti-Trump bombs whenever they speak. But also the episode itself, which I will not spoil because obviously it's season three and Terry hasn't seen it, Hartsfield's Landing. But it's all about, yes, it is about getting out to vote. It's about the importance of individuals voting and being part of that political process and being part of democracy and engaging with it. And it's also about tensions with China, and which is kind of topical as well. But there is a part in it which is very specifically about Bartlett's run for re-election and how he's up against a Republican who is, shall we say, a fucking idiot. <laughs> and uh, so it's all about being qualified and not, being smart and not, being engaged and not. And so it's quite a pointed hey, look, this is a mirror to reality. Yeah, I can't wait. The stills look amazing because it's, it's not in front of an audience. Like It's, it's mm. properly you know, produced and set out on that mm. stage and then obviously they cut and they've rearranged the settings and the, the stagings. But it is, it, is, um, it is bizarre how you say it's non-partisan, how, how the very idea of voting has become a political partisan yeah. issue in America and how basically the Republicans are, without apology, mm. You know, their policy is to vote, is to suppress the vote. It's quite incredible. We've reached the point. They repealed. I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg spoke out about this when it happened. But wasn't there, there was a piece of legislation in place to stop individual states from fucking about with the electoral process without judicial yeah. oversight. And that got repealed. And yeah. um, the idea, of course, that they can now use people's ability to vote as a political football to stop them doing it. It's, it's yeah. horrific. Absolutely it's, horrific. It, it is unbelievable. Um, I was also going to say that I watched the pilot as well, just uh, again, which is the first time I've watched it again of the West Wing since it must be. It might even be since it first went out. I don't know. Really? I don't really rewatch because yeah, I don't do rewatches like you do. I don't. Yeah, it's I mean, you have to I, watch everything. I, I watched to watch everything, and I watched every single episode of the West Wing. You know, when when it went out, and it was, and I loved it. But it is a masterpiece that the pilot, isn't it? And the other thing that I thought was that um, he's kind of become, Aaron Sorkin has kind of become a bit of a cliche and a bit of a, isn't he? Like people make fun of him mm. for his writing style, his kind of verbosity yeah. and the walk and talks. Yeah. And you know the smugness, if you like. Or I'm saying like this is a this is a the kind of established critique of him that he's a bit of a smug, um, know-it-all writer, you know, and that everyone kind of talks in an overly sophisticated way. But actually, when you look at that, when I watched that pilot, I thought this is a reminder, a really pertinent reminder of his genius because mm. it doesn't come across like that. I think if you're, you know, I think if you're a fascist, you'd probably instantly take against it because <laughs> it is a liberal, it's oh, the God, most yeah. liberal yeah. right-on thing. But in terms of the sheer establishing characters in the first hour or what, 47 minutes of, of network TV, it's just incredible. And I mm. think his skill and his sense of humour and everything comes through in the West Wing. It might still be, like, after everything that he's done, you know, I'm talking the social network and all these things, I think it might, it's still the best thing he's ever done. Isn't I, it? agree. I still yeah. think it's the thing that shows you what a brilliant writer he is. He's incredible. I mean, I firmly believe he's, he's the greatest screenwriter working. Of course just, you do, yeah. Of course. But, like, I didn't really like M Molly's game either. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, you know? you're just wrong. I mean, Molly's game yeah. isn't, isn't him at the top of his game, to be honest. But no. Trial of the Chicago 7, which is on Netflix now, is Yeah, that's excellent. great. I love that. Yeah. But this but this is something about this. This is really where he flew, I yes. think. Yes. And every episode of this feels like a play. And there are a couple in there which are yeah. just unbelievable. Just, I mean, 
mean, there's more than a couple. There's a lot in there, but some of them are just like I put it up there with absolutely anything I've ever seen. The writing is incredible. He gets some shit about the way he writes women, which I'm sure Terry will have a lot to say about later on. Um, and also, bear in mind, it's 20 years old, so yeah. even quite early on, like some of the sexual politics, you're like, ooh, 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 yeah. ooh. yeah. But it, that is a product of its but time. But CJ is the one of the great, is, is yeah. still the great one of the, if not the greatest character in TV history. So 100%. I mean. Maybe there is an issue with him writing women, but she's fucking phenomenal. I Although mean, Toby is, is still my favourite. <laughs> no, no. That says a lot. I mean, that says a lot. <laughs> it really does. Oh, this is exciting. And when you finish with this, Terry, we'll start on Battlestar Galactica. This is a well, whole new era for you. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. So the Western will be available from the 21st, Boyd, you said? Yeah, I think. If it isn't, then I, uh, yeah. apologies to everyone. Boyd, but that's what Boyd is guaranteeing will be on all four. <laughs> or your all money four. back. Or, yeah. or Boyd will personally buy you, uh, every one of you, a box set, which is sorry. available actually yeah. for £20 from Computer Exchange, since I just checked. So if you can't wait for all four, you can pick it up there. But uh, it will improve your life. It will make you a better person. Watch the West Wing. Right. What's next? What have we been watching this week? Yeah, what else have we been watching? The West Wing. Yes, we've been watching The West Wing. Oh, I should mention something. So one of our our listeners, Henry Schwindel, pointed out last week that when we did a rundown of the reviews, he noticed that Yellowstone wasn't in there. And then when we said what else is out this week, we also didn't mention Yellowstone. And he was absolutely mortified he thinks it's the best tv show that no one is watching i must admit i've heard very good things about it this is the kevin costner west uh, western series which i have not seen but is by all accounts great and i think it's on i think maybe three seasons of it in the states uh, i don't know if yeah. it was season two or season three that started recently here in the uk um boy do you know what channel it's on here in the uk i don't i was just looking it up no Oh my god! I found the West Wing. The confirmation definitely. It's definitely happening. Oh, he's on found the 21st. it. 21st. He's found yeah. it. Excellent. It's on the. It's on the Channel Four document. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All four. Twenty first. <laughs> West Wing. Pick of the week. Sorted. Only, that's it. We can we end the show. And that is it for the Pilot TV podcast. I mean, that is yeah. a, that is service. That is service. What more can yeah. we give you? <laughs> Yeah, we've given you that. Yellowstone. Um, Yes, no, Yellowstone, which has had three seasons in the US. Season two aired here in the UK, and I think it's Paramount Network. So it's on that. But by all all accounts, it is very good. So I've never seen it. Boyd, have you ever watched it? I watched the first episode, and it was good. Yeah, but I think it's taken off massively since then. Okay, well, if you like Kevin Costner and you like Westerns, give Yellowstone a try, and that should also keep Henry happy as well. (laughs) Um, What have I been watching? I have spent most of this week watching Star Trek Discovery because someone foolishly made the episodes available to me, so I really didn't need to do anything else this week. But we will get onto that a little bit later in the show. I have also watched almost all of season two of Cobra Kai. I am here for that. It does not disappoint. It is consistently brilliant. Uh, so that's kind of uh, awesome too. Terry, uh, presumably the West Wing means that you don't know what Little Mix have been up to over the past week. Well, um, I did watch last Saturday <laughs> night's um, Little Mix search, which I have to say, this weekend has been postponed because a member of the crew has tested positive for COVID. Quite a few people on Twitter are convinced that James Dyer had something to do with that. Um, <laughs> and yeah. um, But I also watched... The BGT final. Boy, did you watch it? Hang on. Of course. The Britain's yeah. Got Talent final. Oh, sure. And it was won by a, a very funny Victoria Wood-esque guy who sang and played the, sang and played the piano and did funny comedic um, rhymes. And he did a whole thing about COVID and about... And it was very moving, actually. But I have to say... Um, uh, I don't know. I feel more emotional these days, and I I watch these little kids um, 
do um, this song called The Climb and they were all kids, some of them with physical disabilities, some of them with mental disabilities and I just hysterically lost my shit and couldn't stop crying for about two hours and I I think my boyfriend thought I was having a nervous breakdown. So if you missed that, you should get that on ITV Player because um, I actually thought, Boyd, I don't know what you think because they didn't have a Mm. live studio audience in the traditional wakes of covid Simon Cowell wasn't on the panel because he broke his back and is in America and can't fly to this country anyway. A lot of challenges. They instead had the audience on TV screens beamed in lives from their home, which was a good idea. Obviously, Ashley from Diversity joined the judging panel. We know about the controversy around the Black Lives Matter moments in the performance that Diversity did. And I actually think they responded really well to what was kind of initially, you think, wow, can they do a Britain's Got Talent final without any sense of the public being involved, without Simon Cowell. But I thought, weirdly, it was really touching and and kind of, in a way, I still think brought people together. I feel like I've got softer and I don't know why and I don't know what's happening to my insides. (laughs) Um, But I was very moved. No, but genuinely, yeah. I was very moved. You're right. And it's further proof. BGT is 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 absolute proof that um, reality TV, if you want to put, include it in that umbrella, you know, of basically real normal mm. people getting on TV and and you know showing us what they're like, is the place where you see more than anything else on TV proper actual diversity yes. and representation. Yes. Where d- disabled people, um, there's a comedian on in the final, a radical black he comedian telling. Yeah, amazing. Telling jokes about you know it the, the whole the whole issue of ITV and diversity and all of that, and making fun of the idiots who complained about it yeah. on the show, like radical comedians. <laughs> yeah, gammon jokes. You know, and as you say that, that you know, and and the it's just the place where that happens. You get men dancing with men doing ballet. You know, it's 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 absolutely leading the charge in that realm and um and, and and you know going back to big brother big brother did the same thing so that is the place where that's happening so people like james may dismiss it and they'll people will be furious on twitter for us discussing it but actually it is an incredibly progressive world of television yeah. to use that slightly annoying word boyd what have you been watching other than that <laughs> well there's another reality show that i want to, there's I've, I've got a lot i'll quickly run through one day boyd there's, you're going to come to this both of you and be like you know what we've not watched any reality bollocks this week we watched actual proper telly we terry is both. exempted no terry's exempted we this week having watched the west wing you've bought yourself an awful lot of goodwill so you can watch whatever you like <laughs> boyd however um okay oh that's right there's a show called the bridge not to be confused with the Scandinavian noir drama series. Or indeed the Canadian trade union series. <laughs> exactly. This The Bridge, which is on Channel 4 on Sunday nights and started last week, is a reality show in which a bunch of uh, real doofuses are gathered in a rural location in England and they have to c- construct a bridge to find a treasure of £100,000, which is in the middle of a vast lake 850 feet away from them. And it's going on for like five five or six weeks and it is like a kind of high concept challenge show but it's really interesting it's got um, Trisha Goddard's daughter Billy is one of the people in it again it has got a very kind of diverse interesting cast of characters and um, it's a really funny in the very first episode they have to like choose who's going to lead them and there's a guy who's actually done bridge building in his life he's the oldest member of the of the cast of people but because he's a bit like um, you know he's very um, he's a very firm kind of figure he's very kind of like he feels like he's going to win the shape they don't vote him the leader instead they vote the male 
male stripper, uh, the leader of the group, who's going to plan how to build this fucking bridge. So that's that. I think Terry will love that show. That goes out on Sundays on Channel 4. I wanted to mention quickly how I've done a bit of a reverse ferret on The Boys on Amazon Prime. Good man. Yes. Um, I, I'm enjoying it now. I am enjoying it. I think it gets better and better, this this most recent series. Yes. It's all finished. It's all... Um, the finale um, arrived um, last week. It did indeed. And... And I do, and I've kind of got into it. I think my issue with it was it's it's kind of storytelling, but actually, and it's reliance on big kind of shock moments and exploding heads and all of that. And there is that, but I do think I've kind of got, I kind of suddenly got on board with it. I think around episodes two or three of this series, I liked it. I, I, I admire its boldness and all of that, but in terms of keeping me gripped and keeping me wanting to watch it from episode to episode, that happened around episode uh, two or three of the series. And I do think it's really interesting. And um, and now I do want to finish it, absolutely. Good. It's, so, no, it's really, really good. I, I thought the finale was excellent. I also applaud it because thanks to Carl Urban and indeed the person who plays his mum, it probably tops any other show for C-bomb count on television at the moment. Oh, yeah, so. incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's bold. I mean, the whole there's a whole penis thing going on <laughs> yeah, in, in the yes, middle of it, is. which is fucking incredible. Um, it is unexpected. So... <laughs> It kind of, on the one level, it's like it's setting out to shock, and that's, yeah. and I'm fine with that. But beneath that, there is a heart to it. I think there, is, yeah. which I was, which I felt was missing, or at least I couldn't find it until recently. And finally, one more thing is Love Life, which is the HBO Max show, which arrived on BBC One. It arrived the week before last when we had to do, when we reviewed four shows anyway, so we didn't have time to do it. But it's really, really good. This is like an anthology series where it's going to be throughout a show, a ten part, ten episode series. It's a comedy. You, it will analyze the love life the love history the relationship history of, of, of a different character starting with Anna Kendrick's character in this first series and it's really clever and funny and well made and smart and she is brilliant in it you know like probably the best role for her for years and years and years um, it's, it's it's really good and it's that's kind of all on it's like a box set on BBC iPlayer and it's going on BBC One in like triple bills on <laughs> Wednesday night or something um, really late at night but it's really good love life excellent I will say we got some uh, interesting social media feedback off last week's binge versus weekly yeah. discussion you know while we mentioned the boys mm. seems like everyone agrees with you two mental well, yeah i saw some one one or two yeah. people agree with you i think most people seem to seem fans. to quite like to spread out their uh, enjoyment of tv shows rather than pour it all into their eyes at once like the self-entitled toddler that i clearly am yes you but, are you know <laughs> hey ho <laughs> it's also just on i'm not gonna get into it again but pace and rhythm of storytelling the person who creates the story it's like you know they've 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 paced it away for a reason it's like doing away with chapters in books you know anna what what's the point in having chapters just run all the world words together no because you put them in chapters for a reason you're telling a, a specific story do you know what, Terry? You're absolutely right. You know what? You completely sold me. So now I'm going to ins have to insist that your West Wing watch take place over the next seven years. And, you <laughs> and when we reconvene in 2027, you can tell us how you found it all. Good point. Okay. Okay. There is exceptions to my rule, as there always are with Terry's rules. And that rule is the West Wing. <laughs> That exception is the West Wing. Fabulous. Right. Given that we are now half an hour into the 
podcast nearly and we have i think we're skipping the question again this no. week just for the sake of, no Come we're not on. skipping the question oh okay fine fuck it let's just settle in for the long run fine we'll do it quickly yeah. we'll cover it off relatively quickly so <laughs> when this question was chosen it was chosen with the idea that could we possibly do one that would stop me talking about the west wing and terry talking about buffy which seems to be like the challenge now if anyone can come up with questions to stop us from doing one of yeah. those two things that would be a good thing i'm going to suggest that this one will not succeed in that particular regard because this week's question is which characters that were once beloved have tv shows ruined over time <laughs> and if we can do this without talking about either of those two shows well that would be impressive spike Karen. from buffy oh, oh jesus <laughs> so, look i and i've talked about this many times on this podcast it's one of my greatest bugbears about um buffy missteps of which there were a few and you know the biggest buffy misstep for me was the was and i i, I use this word ironically the demonization of spike in terms of you know he was always the guy who was struggling with his humanity and his evil um but his love for buffy his genuine you know what started as as hatred and and became uh, respect and became friendship and became love and obviously that was all kind of made null and void and his character, you know, to use common parlance, cancelled when they <laughs> had him attempt to rape Buffy. And, you know, it, there was, there was, they were always toying around with that line of his, his feelings for Buffy were so overpowering and so overwhelming and caused him a great deal of conflict. But the scene in the bathroom, and I I was on again the other day, and it, it drives me mad every time because he, just like Angel, was always, even when he was trying to kill her, it was somehow protective of Buffy. And fundamentally at the heart of it, he had a huge amount of love for her. And the attempted rape scene in which he comes very, very, very close, and it's quite a graphic scene on the bathroom floor, and he's deeply, immediately apologetic, you know, as men often are. But the, the, I do not believe that was true to his character. And once they'd crossed that line, there's no, the, for me, there was no coming back for that character because he'd, you know, that sexual violence line he'd crossed. And I think that would have been fine if I'd have felt like it was somehow true to his ultimate journey or true ultimately to who he was, but I don't think it was. And, and I think that was, then that character was fucked forever. That was it, done. Mm. So he's my first one. My second one is Phoebe in Charmed. So Phoebe was always... The, All the greatest hits rolling out here. <laughs> Phoebe was always the yeah. youngest and she was impulsive and she was rebellious. Um, and what happened when Prue died, who was the eldest sister, and they discovered they had another half-sister who was younger than Phoebe, she became the middle child. And what was interesting is the way her character changed because she had a lot of um, youngest child traits and then she kind of became the mediator. However, she was always like tough yet vulnerable and, you know, um, was always really independent and had a real fire about her. It's why her relationship with Colburn so brightly. But in the end, they made her kind of airheady and um, they had made her get 
spoiler if you don't haven't watched the last season of Charmed um, she ends up with Cupid a guy she has no chemistry with and kind of just because it's meant to be even though it's clearly not meant to be she lost all of her bite all of her personality um, and that really like and her character was so brilliant and so textured and they completely like bland I'm going to use the word blanded they blanded her out completely (laughs) is is that a word? it is now they blanded her out (laughs) and then my last one is Rachel from Friends right so Rachel at the beginning is spoiled I'm not saying these are nice things by the way she was spoiled and she was privileged um, and she didn't always think everything through and she couldn't see a lot that was right in front of her she had no self-awareness whatsoever Um, but I feel like they just towards the end again they just like made her quite generic and quite there was a whole period where she was meant to be much more of an airhead which I didn't like she was actually always really funny um and she you know and she just I I hated that fringe they gave her at the end I thought that was really distracting and the way she <laughs> you know and the way she chose Ross over her dream job in Paris and I she be, she just became this kind of middle of the road character um and i think they like missed all of the opportunities for her to be the girl you know the girl that we all relate to the really funny girl who's actually quite charming and yeah so by the end rachel was just like it became a bit of a joke and they didn't even really give her any storylines with heart the her and ross thing didn't feel like it had proper heart to it or substance in the end were you team joey no, no, I don't believe in that either. But that was at the point when they were making them both. Because if you actually remember early Joey, early Joey was just like, you know, all about sex, really charming, but wasn't the doofus that he ended up. They doofused him up so badly where he was literally <laughs> like, he, he, there was something wrong with him. And him and- <laughs> mysterious then by the time they put him and Rachel together they're both like they've been dropped on their heads at the same time they're both completely confused all the time don't understand basic things I don't think <laughs> and Phoebe as well Phoebe, yeah. and Phoebe's also, also Phoebe yeah. like if you actually look at early episodes of Friends as well Phoebe was always quite I think quite devious in some ways and quite she had that dark edge where she'd always kind of claim to know the future and which one of them was going to die and like but I think they the the way the journey the friends went on when you look at the pilot episode it's really weird where some of them ended up and I think Rachel they just stripped her of any intelligence anything and she just became a bit of a doofus and Joey was an uber doofus and like (laughs) and when they got together it was like air meeting air do you know what I mean it was like Mm. nothing they doofused and blanded yeah. it. Yeah, they Definitely. did. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm surprised yeah. you didn't mention Chandler. I always think Chandler's the one who is most egregiously served by the screenwriting because mm. he goes from the... People talk about the emasculation of Chandler, but I don't think it's emasculation. I think he had bite, he had edge, yes. he was really funny and, you know, quite cutting. And then he became bland and tedious and he just sort of yeah. faded into the background. He went from being the single best character in the show to, I think, really being one of the worst. And I think that was a real shame. Yeah. I never liked Phoebe as a character. I found her deeply irritating all the way through. <laughs> I mean, when you consider Ross is intrinsically annoying anyway, I mean, how, I don't know how this show ever got to the point where... But Monica, Monica just became more shrill, more bossy, yes, more yeah. obsessed about cleaning. Yeah. But Ross, yeah. be, Ross, I think, is the one character that bucks the trend. He yeah. started out as very normal, but he becomes 
properly yeah. funny as it goes on. The leather trousers, mm. you know, all of this stuff. Like he's because uh, you know he, he's a really great physical comedian. Yes, he is. And I think that is something they realised and they really started to sort of lean on in the later seasons. But I think yeah, he's the one who definitely improves over time. Yeah, he I think just, Schwimmer, Schwimmer rocks it. You know, if you think about the chemistry him and Rachel had when they first got together, that's why that will they won't they work so magically. But by the end, it's just you don't care because she is literally she is a blank page and they're all kind of a blank page you're totally right on Chandler the, I always thought the point of him and Monica was for us to believe she'd choose him over Richard I mean come on you have to, <laughs> you have to believe that he gives her something and I think he gives her that because when he did have Edge he would like be able to cut through her bullshit and he would be able to like make her laugh a lot and he would be able to mm. give her a bit of that kind of um, intellectual kind of edge but he's lost all of that by the end he's like oh I work in advertising and I wear weird glasses and he, he you know oh I better not put the remote control there because my wife's a clean you know cleanaholic <laughs> like it, every, all of them fell into the kind of the cliches of the most boring bits of their original characters if you see what I mean and became mm. defined by that entirely well, maybe that was the theme of the show. They're showing that you're young and hip and cool in your 20s with Edge, and then when you turn into your 30s, you get family, you settle down, and you become deeply tedious. Yeah. And maybe that's what they were trying to get across. <laughs> I know. Well, they, well wow. that worked. Yes, if that was yes, what they did. were going for. Well, this turned into the West Wing and Friends podcast. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on your Buffy thing a little bit and just say I think they ruined Cordelia. Now, Cordelia mm. was never a great character, but when Angel. she crossed over to Angel and became a heavenly being, fuck off. <laughs> Just absolutely not. Yes, you're right. You're right. It's when, I mean, she was, I mean, I loved to hate her in Buffy. She was fascinating as a character. Oh, mm. my God. She she became Blomonge in Angel. You know Sarah Michelle Gellar read for that role originally? No. Cordelia. Yeah, absolutely true. She'd have been good. I'm just thinking yeah, about, <laughs> I'm just thinking about Cruel Intentions. Yeah. When, yeah. yeah. Boyd. Um. Uh, okay, I was going to mention Cersei from um, uh, Game of Thrones because I think I, she's my favourite character in the show. And, um, you know, around series five and six, when the High Sparrow arrived, yeah. um, this religious maniac, and she kind of ended up, um, first of all, she was kind of on his side. And then when he pointed out that she was having incestuous relationship <laughs> with her brother and imprisoned her, and then she had to do that walk of shame. And like Those are some of the most powerful mm. episodes of, of the show ever. And her being this, in, this hu incredibly manipulative, nasty, single-minded woman, and yet at the same time, a kind of three-dimensional version of that, like a, a kind of horrendous, a horrendous person, <laughs> behaving in the most appalling way but when you saw her and her vulnerability in that in that season season five and then a little bit season six as well in the aftermath of all that i thought it was she was absolutely phenomenal for me like all the best um moments of the way of, of not gonna say the west wing of game of thrones <laughs> so revolved around her and then after that after she kind of got rid of the high sparrow and all of that which she set the wildfire across all, a whole city and all of that that i think they just didn't know what to do with her and then to, got to the point where in the last season and i you and i are less against the last season than a lot of game of thrones mm. fans but her um cersei's demise in the is a, one of the great disgraces of tv history i think they just uh, just 
failed to give her the farewell that she deserved and just didn't know what to do with her. And she just, it was like, she just fizzles out in the most disappointing way. She's such a powerful figure. And you can tell, when you see interviews Lena Headey, you know, since, and she's asked about it, you can tell the kind of disappointment mm. that she just wasn't given a good send-off. It's, it's really surprising, sad. isn't it? Because that episode has a lot of fan service in it. So, you know, like the Battle of the Cleganes, you've got that in there, which, again, I didn't buy and didn't love. I, I mean, that episode, The Bells, is the one that, in fact, is the sort of the only fight I think you and I, Boyd, have had on this <laughs> podcast. Oh, yeah. But like, I think that episode ruined Daenerys more than it ruined Cersei. But uh, no, uh, yeah. See, I'm much more... And obviously, Daenerys is the next... Is the, is the really obvious character that people think is ruined. Mm. But I think Cersei was ruined... I cared more about Cersei than I did Daenerys. Yeah, Cersei was an incredibly good character. I There's something about the way, and apologies to anyone who hasn't seen Game of Thrones, but also, who are you? Um, yeah. But uh, the, the way that she and Jaime get kind of buried in the rubble, there's something just beautifully Shakespearean and tragic about that. And I quite like the poetry of it. I know it wasn't showy, and I know it wasn't spectacular, and it didn't get a lot of screen time. But the fact that it was just like, people die and it's horror, but we move on. There was, there was just that moment of recognition recognition and then we'd moved on from it and i don't know something about that i just thought was surprising and a little bit it really touched me i i, I don't know i that, oh, okay. it didn't offend me i, I liked I'm, it. I'm more annoyed by her whole you know storyline her whole arc yeah after yeah. you know in the in the kind of penultimate and last series she, they just didn't give her enough it's like it's one of these things that people often say oh she became two-dimensional it's like i don't know i think she's always been true to that character like she was a person who would have done anything for her children and that was her main driving thing she was horribly abused by her husband who she you know uh, she tells a very tragic story that on their wedding night she was actually really excited because before he became mark addy you know robert baratheon was like the strapping warhammer wielding giant of a man and she was so excited you know she wasn't even oh yes she's still shagging her brother and all that but but she was very excited but he calls out liana stark's name on their wedding night and in that moment kind of poisons her like shatters her dreams of what being a queen will be and also he is quite abusive and he beats her and he's unpleasant like what's what i love about game of thrones that there are no sort of i mean there are bad guys because ramsey bolton jesus but you know it's very much shades of gray they're all very very and i know we get we get shit for using the word nuance a lot but they're all very nuanced characters they're multi-layered they're yeah. real they have a great inner life to them and i think she's a she's possibly the best example of that i think she's great yeah i'd also mention bernard in the west in not sorry in the west world <laughs> bernard in yeah. west world who just ended up moping around sad, it, sad bernard. The Sadness in his sad eyes. bernard i love the sad yeah. bernard memes <laughs> Oh, God, it was so annoying. And he was great in the first season. I think he's still great, actually. I I enjoy him all the way through. I mean, Westworld's gone on some slightly weird arcs, but uh, Jeffrey Wright is probably my favourite thing in it, even when he's being sad Bernard. Okay. What else would I add to this? I would add to this. In fact, weirdly, I do have a Westworld, but I'm not going to talk about it. Because Terry is now watching this, and because it arrives on the 21st, when you can all watch it when you haven't, I'm calling a moratorium on all West Wing spoilers from this point on. So, you know, <laughs> until Terry's finished it, like all bets are off. So those of you joining Terry, make sure you finish around the same time that she does. Uh, but I'm, because when she finishes, we're going to have a big old discussion about it. So just yes, bear that in are. mind. We better um, clear, clear a good month out of our schedule. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'd have. Um, yeah, I think everyone should try and watch along with Terry. See if you can keep up with her. I'm um, keeping notes. 
Good, good. Uh, so I will skip over that particular one, but I will say Deb from Dexter, which we'll be talking about again in a little bit. But Deb from Dexter, there's this weird incest storyline that comes along in the last series, and you're just like, what the actual fuck is this about? It's, I mean, a lot of things go wrong in the last series of Dexter, but that, I think, is perhaps the biggest misstep. Um, the other thing I would mention, Sons of Anarchy, as you all know, is one of my favourite shows. I think uh, Ron Perlman's character, Clay, goes off the boil a little bit. I think it's largely because they should have killed him off and they didn't want to because it's Ron Perlman and they kept him around for too long. I think even Ron Perlman said that, which is a shame. But more the character of Juice, Theo Rossi's character, I think he has a real... like They, they have him do so many stupid things. And I think his, his character is the most tragic character in the show, but it's just not believable. Some of the things he does are so ridiculous that it strains credulity. So I think I think Juice has a Juice starts well and then goes goes horribly wrong. And it, we are now at nearly three quarters of an hour into the podcast <laughs> and we haven't got to news. So <laughs> right, we're doing our own third day live special, it seems here. Um <laughs> shall we now move on to news just for the lots of it? And let's kick off with Dexter because this came as an absolute surprise to me this week. I had no idea. I would never have predicted this would turn up. But they announced that Dexter is coming back and Showtime has ordered a limited ten part series, a revival of the Michael C. Hall serial killer drama. Um and he's going to be returning in the lead role. Now, given that Dexter, a once great show, turned to absolute bollocks towards the end, this seems quite surprising. And given that it ends with Dexter having fucked off to become a lumberjack, I can only assume this is Dexter, the lumberjack years, where he's going around <laughs> killing woodsmen somewhere in Alaska. I've no idea. I mean, maybe they'll 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 do a Highlander and just retcon, and they'll go back to like season four and just carry on from there. But I think this was, as everyone pointed out, like a show that had such a terrible, famously bad ending, it, the, to revive that feels like, you know, that makes sense yeah. to give it another go. Like Quantum Leap, you know, to and, put right what once yeah. went wrong. Yes. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Everybody's basically, I think, viewing it in a positive way that at least now it may require a, a it receive a befitting. Yeah. But it's season. not like it was a great show that had a bad final episode, which obviously happens. It was a great show that went into decline, and the last two seasons were bad, and is the it, last one in particular was terrible. Is it the same team? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. so. But, I mean, look, I will 100% watch this because I love Dexter. Um, what else is happening in the world of TV? So House of the Dragon has had a change of venue, obviously still slated for 2022, but HBO's Game of Thrones prequel series has will no longer be shooting in Belfast. It, instead, it is moving to Watford, as all great things do. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, House of the Dragon is going to be filming in Leavesden. Wow. Yeah, which is uh, where the Batman is currently filming. Yes, it is. And uh, Fantastic Beasts. Indeed, indeed. And Pennyworth. So many things. Who knew Watford was such an exciting place to live? Um, do you, Bridgerton, have you seen Netflix have unveiled loads of pictures, photos mm. from Bridgerton. Bridgerton is their big hope, I think. It's Shondaland show. It's a Shonda yeah. Rhimes um, exec produced show. It's her massive deal with, uh, I think she's getting paid gazillion dollars um, to come up with shows for Netflix. And it's a period drama. Um, it's very British. It's got Nicola Coughlin's in it, British and Irish actors in it, and uh, loads of other people. And it, Jonathan Bailey, blah 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 blah, and it's about a woman um, arriving in Regency London and kind of making a deb. She's a debutante, and it's about you know which bloke will she fall for. It seems to be the basic thrust of it, um, and it's going to arrive on Christmas Day on Netflix. So that's like clearly like they're hoping you know it's going to 
capture that. They, if you look at the history of Netflix, they often put out their, their, the stuff they really hope is going to be huge around Christmas, uh, making a murder arrive just mm. before Christmas, I remember. It feels like a um, Christmas Day show. And it feels like it's Christmas like, like Day show, a exactly. very Downton Christmas. It like feels like it'll scratch yeah. that itch. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's going to be from this. I think from what I've heard, I think it's going to be like a, a, like Downton, but edgier, mm. much edgier, like you know, sexier. Um, uh, and, and you know, it's you know, Downton. I'll have great, you know, the pilot very... of Downton starts with extramarital <laughs> sex, boy. I mean, it, how, you don't get You're much right. edgier than that. You're right. <laughs> Correct. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. It looks good and the, and the pictures look great. Um, and, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, what else? Have LA's Finest got cancelled, uh, which means Jessica Alba mm. in, and Gabrielle Union are out of work for that. I did. I, I keep forgetting that was a Bad Boys spin-off. I don't know why that always... Oh, yeah. yeah I've never actually watched it, so that's presumably why I don't realise. But, yeah, so that's, uh, that's ending after its second season. Uh, John Favreau is saying that... Um, Mandalorian season three could actually shoot this year, which um, seems very quick. I mean, we're just about to get season two, right, in a mm. couple of weeks. Um, it's obviously dropping episodically. And, yeah, he's saying – he did say something very funny about, well, we're in – we pretty much wear masks anyway, um, which I'd really thought of it that way. We're in very small situations, and oftentimes we have a lot of characters in masks. Um, so it seems like COVID isn't slowing down uh, production of, of The Mandalorian. I think it's also the week that Disney indicated that they are kind of restructuring how they work mm. to, to focus more attention on streaming which you kind of understand when you look at what the next marvel theatrical property is going to be the eternals yeah. which i think it's not until next summer or autumn so i think we're going to well, after black widow yeah we, we're going to oh yeah yeah we're going to go a long time we'll have been a long time without any marvel mm. um theatrical products so I, I can understand probably the urge to keep people engaged through the Mandalorian especially, which has yeah. obviously this, been a massive hit for them. That was a really interesting announcement they made. We mm. didn't actually talk about this in the Empire podcast for some reason, but, you know, and it certainly turned some heads. It was like for Disney, the without doubt, unarguably the biggest single theatrical mm. studio to say that they are restructuring with an emphasis towards streaming is an incredibly bold thing. And yes, of course, they put their film Mulan out on Disney Plus at a premium and Soul is going straight, straight to Disney Plus on it Christmas is, Day, yeah. but not at a premium included in the subscription price. For them to now say that this is now a priority for them, I, yeah, it's on the one hand, it's slightly terrifying from a film point of view. So with my yeah. Empire hat on, oh God, this is terrible. With my pilot hat on, fucking brilliant, you know. Bring me all the telly, put it into my eyes, and don't release it week by week. So you know, good times to be. Uh, Did you get TV? the? Um, this is a very, this is a very um, industry uh, thing to say. But did you get the email from Disney Plus where they said uh, so? Season two of The Mandalorian coming out October thirtieth. Um, let us know if you want to receive screeners. And you got really excited. I'm like, oh my god, this is so exciting. James is going to be exciting. You know, we can review it in advance. So we might, yes, yes, give me screeners now. And they're like. Um, screeners for episode won't be available till the day before. Yeah. 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 Classic. I know. Classic. Well, you can understand, right? Because the challenges of a shooting a Marvel film, you know, massive. Um, but actually with The Mandalorian, um, smaller affair, they're clearly in some kind of rhythm. Um, and it's three, but it could mean that season three could what come very early next year. 
That seems unlikely, doesn't it? I well, wonder then whether... why shoot it this? I mean, I don't think they'll shoot it this year and then hold it in the can. I think you could end up then seeing season three in say March. But you've got to March. think what they're going to do. Like, like Disney Plus, not being funny, don't have that many shows. So they, I, I feel like they'd mm-hmm. almost need to hang on to it. It depends on where they are at with you know with the various Marvel shows they've got planned after mm. WandaVision, after after Falcon and Winter Soldier. You know, where's the Loki TV show? Where are all these things going to fall? But I think their challenge at the moment is to up their game because to compete with Netflix which is clearly what they're trying to do they need to try and if not match Netflix's output which I think would be all but impossible they need to ramp it up yeah. because you look at Disney Plus you look at Apple you even look at Amazon and their output of original shows and even acquisitions just isn't there like, it's, like Netflix is insane the amount of stuff and we've talked about this before the amount of stuff that they drop each week that we didn't even know existed and just yeah. turns up is incredible and yes loads of it is shit but equally loads of it is great and it, it's it's quite extraordinary and i think netflix as a value proposition makes more sense because the sheer volume of entertainment that that money buys you is is unequal by any of the other services but disney's never going to be about volume is it really it's always well, disney be, has quality disney has yes, quality it's going to be about yeah. quality and fandom so if you are somebody who um a new marvel film at the pictures is a massive event mm. a steady ish stream of marvel small screen content which intersects with that wider universe i can see that being a a good enough draw but but to your point if you're not kind of in that area what pulls you towards disney plus Mm. your average punter you know who's not obsessed with marvel or the star wars universe or whatever what would they come to disney plus escape from which mountain (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there is that. I'm sorry, I forgot about yeah. the fans of, of the Witcher, the Witch fans. The yeah. Witcher Mountain, yes. The Witcher. <laughs> escape to Witcher Mountain. Oh, oh my god. god! Is it Escape from Witch that. Mountain or Escape to Witch Mountain? I can't even two. remember. Two. two. They're going to it's Witch two. Mountain. Oh, that's it. Yeah, they're going yeah. to it. Yeah. I started watching that the other day, and there's a boy like playing some kind of I think it was baseball or something, using his magic powers to levitate. And good god, it's shit. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving back to news, uh, did you see The Outsiders getting a second season? I didn't see that coming. Which one? The Outsider, the Stephen King adaptation with uh, Ben Mendelsohn and Cynthia Erivo. I didn't even, I didn't even uh, see yeah, that. Yeah, it's getting a second season, you've, which you've is got, obviously... Sp- wow, that is the first season was an adaptation of a book, so this is obviously yeah. uncharted territory. But Stephen King, I think, pretty much announced it. He said there's going to be a second season as soon as they can get the production going. Um, I really like The Outsider. I thought it was great. So I, I would love to see more of this. And if King's going to be involved, so much the better. That is interesting, because... In a way, for me, the big flaw, I really liked it as well, but the big flaw is that they had to stick with Stephen yeah. King's stupid ending, which I ranted about on a previous episode. So the fact that maybe they don't have to do that this time is a big, could be a big bonus. Really. <laughs> They'll go off piste with this one. Uh, Terry, were yeah. you excited to see the Grease prequel series has moved from HBO Max to Paramount Plus? <laughs> Grease prequel. So what, set in the 40s? If Grease no is set idea. in the late 50s, early yeah. 60s, Grease set in the 40s. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea what this is. I'd I'd rather see a Grease 3 because obviously Grease 2, Michelle Pfeiffer, (laughs) incredible, set in the like 70s, 80s. Um, I could take a Grease 3. There is a whole whole sub 
strata of society that prefers grease oh my to God, grease. Yeah. Believe me, yeah. like I, I have yeah. been one of those women. There's a little, you see them all come together on Twitter whenever it, it <laughs> yes. plays. And, it, you know, if it's yeah. on Film 4 or something. And I do know all of the words to all of the songs. Tell me more, Terry. Tell Grease me more. Two. That's Grease, not Grease 2. It's oh all the same. God. No, it isn't. I want a cool rider. A cool, 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 what is cool rider. I need to see. This shows no sign of stopping. <laughs> right. Incredible. Oh, God. Right. Um, um, well, Amazon has greenlit an, an I Know What You Did Last Summer series, the horror oh, spin-off God, we've no. all been crying out for. So. <laughs> no, make those stop. <laughs> I Know What You Did Last Summer. You commissioned a show that no yeah. one wants to watch. <laughs> I think you're wrong. I think there's a whole I don't I Know What You Did Last Summer fan base though? that is quite is exciting. There? Yes, I think there is. Yeah. Is there, though, yeah. I'm not sure there is. <laughs> you know, who can vet the classic sequels? I still know what you did, did last, last summer, summer, and I don't even know what the third one was called. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, oh, the, god. When they, I think the sequel had a, wasn't it a man with a hook instead of yeah, hand? The, it, was, was, it was it was the, <laughs> it was the slicker, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was the rain slicker and the hook was the, the oh, guy in god. there. <laughs> what a load of anyway. Um, speaking of things that are truly excellent, a discovery of which is season two, which I've been waiting for now for two years, has got a trailer. <laughs> Very excited to see that coming. <laughs> I may be alone, but still. Uh, it's coming back to Sky. Also, yeah. there was a trailer for American Gods Season 3. Who knew that was still going? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's arriving quite, yeah, quite soon. Is. I think early 2021. Yeah, I didn't yeah. watch because Season 2 was such a step down from Season 1. I, I didn't watch the rest of it, so I have no idea what happened. No, same. Yeah, yeah. Season two was immensely it irritating. Was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was I like the they're going to make them find the most irritating things about it and <laughs> ratchet them up to massive levels of irritation. Oh dear! Right, what else has happened? There was a stand trailer. The stand is the thing I am most looking forward to. I think televisually for the rest of this year. Oh my god, so good! Oh god, yeah, yeah. I am, I am over the moon about this. Very, very excited. Anything else in the world of news as we enter the first hour of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, no. That's enough. Okay. <laughs> Okay, we've been banging on for nearly an hour, so let's end news. And because we're not overrunning enough as it is, let's have a guest. Uh, we have the one and only Mr. Nick Frost. His new horror comedy reunites him with Simon Pegg for a series about a group of paranormal investigators exploring ghost sightings around the UK. Nick popped by to fill Boyd in on the show and, of course, what he's been up to during lockdown. And this is how it went. Please welcome uh, the uh, the legendary Nick Frost to the Pilot TV podcast. Hi, Nick. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Where Where do we uh, find yeah. you? Um, I'm in my office in Portland Place in town. Um, here are the files behind us. Nice. And there's my, um, you won't see it, but you can see uh, my office uh, deodorant and Tom Ford aftershave. <laughs> oh, classy. <clears throat> Very nice. Ah, you know. You're a classy guy. Um, you don't make two seasons of uh, Into the Badlands and not afford a bit of Tom, Tom Ford. <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> um, so you're, this is the office of Stolen Picture, your production company that you yeah. that you run with Simon Pegg. And this is, yeah. and I guess, um, Truth Seekers, which we're talking about today, is your first big fruit of that production, TV-wise, anyway. It is, yeah, definitely. And... It's credited to you and Simon and James Serafinowitz and Nat Saunders co-creating it together. But what was the initial spark for the whole for the whole series? Where did that come um, from? Well, I guess it was it was two things really. I mean, Simon and I, a bit of me before Simon, you know, I've always loved the unexplained and 
we love to be afraid and um, have our spine chilled. And, you know, I love mysteries and Egyptology and what what do the pyramids do? You know, uh, bullshit. <clears throat> and then, you know, I, I found in Simon someone who was into all that shit too. And then we found the X-Files and just fell in love with that. Um, and then we kind of spent, we spent, I don't know how long it was, but we spent quite a lot of time hunting ghosts and the unexplained. And we'd kind of go to, we'd find like an old Saxon church in, 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 uh, you know, somewhere in the countryside and we'd go and try and get in and stalk the graveyards or find like an abandoned factory and, and go and sit in it and see what beasts we could um, find or, or not. You know, we never found anything. We're always, but we'd always run off afraid uh, and drive off in the back, in the, in the car screaming, quick, quick, go, go. Um, a <laughs> couple of times I'm quite badly injured as well. Wow. Um, physically and emotionally. <laughs> uh, and then we stopped soon after that, you know, um, but I'd also known James, you know, me and Simon have known James and Pete Sorokinovich for a long time. And James, I didn't know Nat too well, actually. I've only known him a couple of years. But we all kind of got together and <clears throat> me and James originally started to come up with the idea for Truth Seekers uh, around this character, Gus. And, you know, we'd send each other little fucked up memes and weird, you know, here's a, a ball traveling across a table in Cork. <laughs> or like here was... You know, we got down a, a, a rabbit hole of uh, exorcisms as well, which were kind of hilarious and 1% frightening as well. And so, yeah, James and I came up with this idea about this this guy who was a broadband service engineer, but in his spare time was a character called The Truth Seeker who had his own YouTube channel, which, was, which had like 13 followers or something ridiculous like that. Subscribers. Yeah. yeah. And... Just going back to the back to the actual kind of your version of most haunted that you and Simon used to do for real, going to those places. Yeah. Did you did you both did you both think there might actually be some kind of ghostly presence, or were you just doing it for like let's explore weird locations and weird? I think we wanted to be afraid, right? You know, we wanted to see. I think I, I always felt like my 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 mum was a kind of she believed in the the other side, and she had like seven sisters, and they were all fucking ghostly women and like witches and stuff and the shit had always happened to them. So I grew up with it around me, you know, <clears throat> uh, and then me and Simon moved in together and we'd always terrify each other with like, we could hear a bell ringing or like if, if our feet were outside the quilt, something was going to bite them off. <clears throat> you know, we wanted to be afraid. I think we liked being afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I don't think we ever imagined we'd find anything. I mean, we're both atheists. Uh, yes. <laughs> But yeah, who knows? Did you ever look around the environs of? Because I, I come from my mum still lives in Gants Hill, and I know you're in the kind of Dagenham Gants Hill Wood, Woodford area yeah. when you when you were brought. Did you ever go to anywhere around there? Did you ever find anywhere around there that was? Uh, this is a very personal um, question I'm asking. Yeah, what there was? What was there up there? There used to be an old insane asylum called Claybury Hospital, I think. Right. Yes, there was. Yeah, I think. Yes, and with with I know before Simon, but I'd driven up there a few times with friends. And like parked up outside, or uh, and then said things like, "Quick, the loonies are coming!" Like before I knew anything about the crushing debilitation of mental health, right? Uh, uh, concerned different you know. times, yeah. 
different times back then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I like I like it. You know, I like the feeling of being terrified and and li- literally losing your mind in terms of you knowing what's real and and then adding this other X factor in, which in terms of oh, maybe everything I knew to be real isn't <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's interesting watching the the episodes that I've seen that because this is a half hour show. It's got you guys in it. We've got a lot of comedy talent in it. You know, Samson Ko. I've seen do great comedy. Um, yeah. You know, all, the, all of the writers and creators have a, have a history of, of of great comedy. And yet, the the um, first of all, visually, it's it's like stunning. It looks very cinematic, and it's like got this widescreen quality to it and also in terms of the tone of it the 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 horror elements the scary elements are genuinely scary and feel like you know something you'd see in a horror film was that important for you to establish from the start that you it, this wasn't going to be like a half hour sitcom in any way yeah no way i mean we didn't want it to be a sitcom at all it was i mean we want it to be a drama really or a dramedy or whatever that thing is uh about people you know about humans or or not humans as the case may be and and their fears and, you know, their, the fact they're fragile and lonely. And, you know, I think you could take away the horror element and make them tennis coaches or cab drivers or, and it would still, you know, I think we wanted to just make a show about people who were running away from things or, or running or trying to find things, you know. Um, but we definitely wanted it to be filmic. You know, we wanted it to be frightening and, uh, and and to have those things coexist quite naturally with one another and not, you know, for it not to be corny. You know, we wanted it to be frightening and chilling and weird and feel a bit, um, you know, it's, it's kind of got a sapphire and steel vibe to it or it's kind of sh- it's shot by Jim Field Smith. It's, it's kind of, kind of off. There's something off about it, you know, and I, even now, I kind of yeah. struggle to wonder what it is. It feels, if I remember when I was like seven or eight or nine, having flu as a kid and everything feeling really weird and sweaty, uh, and it's kind of got that vibe to it. It's very melancholic. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's something quite. It's like slightly askew and quite, and, and you don't necessarily know totally yeah. where it's going to go from one minute to the ne- to the next. Is it? Yeah. I think, I think yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking of the cast. You, Samson Kay, as I mentioned, Susan Wakoma, who's fantastic. But Malcolm McDowell, yeah. I have to ask you about Malcolm McDowell playing your dad. And but first yeah. of all, I love the way he kind of just appears, like without yeah, yeah. sidling up. That's 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 in, in itself is quite scary and interesting. And B Yeah, he's our first ghost. Yeah, right. Right. Which is a fantastic uh, moment. What was he like to work with? I mean, I, I he's a hero of mine. I and and you know, from a Clockwork Orange and No Lucky Man, and all that. And you even in episode four, without spoiling it, I felt episode four felt like a bit of a Clockwork Orange tribute. Um, yeah, right. Episode. Yeah, uh, uh, he was amazing. You know, I mean, James saw him at something at the BFI and approached him about it, and he said, "Yeah, sure, send some stuff." And we sent stuff, and <clears throat> and then I'd like a a call which said Malcolm would love to get on a call with you guys and have a chat. And we were, we're all, I don't know, I think being fans of genre and fans of his and it's we were kind of nervous, <laughs> a bit nervous. Uh, but he got on the phone and he chatted about, he loved it and he liked me and Simon and he liked Richard and he had some concerns about one or two things about his age and his relationship with or how it flourishes with Susan's character. 
uh, and then we, you know, we ironed it out. We chatted and we laughed and he had ideas and we came and put them down. And, you know, it was really, um, what's the word when you want to work with someone? It's really, uh, uh, I can't think about it. I'm going to have to try and write it down. Okay. Um, and then we got him over and stuff and then was nervous all over again because now we're going <laughs> to meet him in the flesh. And he was just fucking lovely. You know, he was collaborative. That's the word yes. I was looking for. Yes. He was really collaborative, you know, um, which is great, which is music to our ears. That's exactly what we want. And he said, yeah, he said, yeah, he'll do it, which was incredible. Um, I think we took the rest of the day off when he said he'd do it. We were like, yeah, Fair great. Enough. Fair enough. But he, he was, you always have to, with older actors, after doing Hot Fuzz, we realised that you need to put like another 20 minutes in the schedule in the morning just to allow story time. Right. Um, and for old, you know, for, for battle stories, which is great because they're always fucking amazing and completely off colour and, and uh, things you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> um, but just working with him, you know, I do a lot of my scenes, a lot of scenes with him, just me and him, you know, in one location was just amazing because he's, you know, he's so easy at what he does. He doesn't, I could just learn a lot from that, from that ease, you know, he just knows yeah. it. And he, he comes in every day and he said, Hey, what about this? Why don't we try this? Or why, why don't I sit here and we reveal me here or, you know, and it was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's try all these things. You know, let's have a laugh. I mean, I think if anything, I was, Afraid that I, I couldn't keep up with him, maybe, you know? Hmm. But yeah, it was cool in the end. I mean, that's just my own terrible self doubt. <clears throat> but right. it was just like, you know, I think I'm very lucky that I've got to work with a, a host of amazing British actors and uh, kind, of, kind of, you know, kind of a little bit older than me. And, and he's, he's definitely up there, you know, he's so. He's so nimble, um, not just physically, but mentally and, and artistically. You know, it was fantastic to watch him. And to also try and make him laugh, you know, to try and right. set him yeah. off a bit. And yeah. I like doing that. And in, the, yeah, in that, in that first bit of the morning when, when he was, you know, when you were kind of getting stories, what, did did any great, were there any standing cubic stories you can share or any uh, you can't share? Uh, no, I think Jim Field Smith got all the Stanley Kubit stories. Okay. So that, you'd have to speak to Jim, but I was always terrified that I didn't know my lines or I had to rewrite stuff for the next day's shoot. Just horrible producer shit that right. means you don't enjoy acting as much anymore. <laughs> I see. Are you slightly regretting the, the fact that you're producing this shit then? Uh, I don't have much <laughs> choice. Uh, no, it's just different. You know, it's just... I always said, you know, years ago that I never trained specifically to be an actor. So it was silly or churlish for me to just do that when there's a certain joy that comes from filmmaking at any point, you know, for me. But then, you know, that uh, I think I certainly felt the weight of our ambition and the fact that, you know, things had to be rewritten every night and people had to make sure they knew that and lines have to be you know what i mean there's there's the yeah. pressure because it's interesting because it feels like the show has a a, a story of the week element to it a different yeah. kind of mystery and also a, a, an ongoing 
um, mythology, almost like the X Files, which I know you've mentioned is is one of the inspirations for the show. So, it, yeah. is that the case that there is a kind, there's going to be an ongoing um, arc, overall arc to the story, running along all the way through? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> you know that that also kind of fucked us when our scripts were fifty pages long, and Amazon said <laughs> it would be great if they were twenty four pages long. <laughs> right. uh, so, you know, the skill then is trying to strip out everything that isn't you know, character, nuance, fun, comedy, you know, heart, and remain, you know, and, and keep all those little individual arcs plus the big arcs for setting up season two and three, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it kind of worked, it worked in the X-Files. I mean, that said, though, some of the X-Files episodes which weren't about Scully, about Mulder's search for his sister were, or, 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 or you know, the search for the conspiracy of the government, those little monster of the week ones were some of the best for me, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the X-Files episodes were funny, were, were almost comedic, completely comedic, weren't they as well? I think. Yeah, so, yeah. totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to mention uh, Simon's wig. It's one of the great um, comedy wigs. It's right. It's, I've seen. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. It's there. It's, there is a, there is a, I think we explain it in episode eight, but there is, there is a method. There is a reason for it. Okay. I think. I hope. <laughs> the wig was the thing that the wig was the thing that fucked us artistically during our writing process. That's what. <laughs> how to explain um, the wig? How to talk him out of it? Right. Right. And how has um how has this weird period, the lockdown period, gone for you? I remember right, quite close to the beginning, you did a lovely video with Simon, didn't you? The plan where kind of about. Yeah. Cheering, cheering, cheered me up <laughs> for a start. Good, um, good. Yeah. Uh, but how has it been subsequently for you? It, uh, I, I, it's been very long. You know, I think I start work again on Monday, shooting uh, The Nevers with Joss Whedon. Oh, wow. Um, and I've got to say, I'm fucking shitting it. I'm really nervous. I feel like I've not worked for a year, you know. Uh, I feel ring rusty. And now we've got to go and do like big heady dialogues, he dialogue heavy scenes with one of Hollywood's biggest directors. It's like, I'm, I'm shitting it, you know, uh, I'm really nervous. And I think lockdown has taken something from me in terms of uh, pizzazz and zing. And, you know, it, uh, I don't know what the world is doing now. I, I'm not sure if uh, by going to work, I'm going to come back and kill old people with a disease or uh, no, what the fuck's going on? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I'm not sure when we restart and how that happens, and because it doesn't feel like it's happening right now. It feels like we're stammering. You know, it's yeah, no, yeah. No, no. It, it, yeah. It's, it's um, anxiety-inducing, isn't it? To, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, it really is. You know, especially when you've got two kids and and you know a family to support and I and an ex-family to support, and you know, it's it's. It's difficult being a grown-up <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Have you discovered any new TV stuff or any new films or anything during the, during the period? Have you had time to watch stuff? What have you, what have you enjoyed? Uh, we, okay, now, I'll tell you what. I've got, I've got a two-year-old and I've got a nine-year-old. So we, I've been, I watched every episode of Octonauts, um, <laughs> right. which is kind of amazing. I've watched every episode of Fireman Sam more than once. Uh <laughs> And then me and my me and my wife, we watch shit like Bargain Loving Brits in the Sun. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and Benefits Life on the Dole and stuff like that. But we watch 
There's five seasons of Bargain Love in Brits and the Sun. And we recently went back and rewatched all of them again. Uh, <laughs> like we were watching The X-Files or The Sopranos. Yeah. Um, but oh, we fucking love it, man. It's just trashy people living in fucking, uh, you know, caravans, finding books that they like reading. But, you know, just fucking happy. They're just happy. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And beers a euro a pint. Well, you know, they fucking love it. Of course. Of course. Well, great choice. Um, congratulations on Truth Seekers. Oh, thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers, Nick. Thanks very much. Thanks, boys. That was Nick Frost, and time now for this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have Out of Her Mind, a new fourth-wall-breaking, terribly self-aware sitcom from comedian Sarah Pascoe in which she plays a fictionalised version of herself and is, in many ways, a bit of a hot mess. Isn't that right, Terry? Yes, so I am not going to talk about or use the phrase hot mess because we all know how <laughs> Terry feels about that. Um, but let's start by saying I really like Sarah Pascoe. If you've not seen her work, um, she is a proper, proper bona fide stand-up and she does the teleprograms you'd expect, like 8 Out of 10 Cats, does Countdown, um, QI, Taskmaster. Um, I think she's incredibly funny. She's really good at kind of tackling a lot of tropes around sex and around gender. Um, I find her very, very funny. I just really want to make that clear from the get-go. This, however, is insane. And not and I wasn't <laughs> gonna say insanely good then or something. It's just insane. And I I have been struggling with trying to work out how to talk about it because I quite frankly have no idea what I watched. So she writes it and she stars in it. And it opens up right. It opens up on a on a diamond ring. The diamond ring, you go, you zoom in, and it's got a rabbit in it. And then the rabbit bursts through it like paper while this circus music plays. And then you're in essentially a warehouse space, an empty room with a screen on the wall showing Sarah Pascoe like a like a com what looks like a comedy sh sketch show, and. Then you also then see Sarah Pascoe roller skating around the room in like some kind of sparkly jumpsuit. And she literally says, hello, I'm the main character. And my name's Sarah, Sarah Pascoe and I'm going to destroy your faith in love. And you flip between this room in which she's in and she's later joined on roller skates by her fictional mum and her fictional sister. <laughs> and we should say this has does have a, a really like interesting wider cast, Juliet Stevenson, Fiona Button, Adrian Edmondson, um, uh, sorry, hang on, Scroobius Pip, Tom Stewart. Um, it's a really interesting group of people. But then essentially what happens is you'll go you're in this room with her and then you go inside the screen which is these scenes essentially and it's part sitcom part stand up part animation it is so surreal and from what I can tell, I don't know if I was meant to understand this, but this is the understanding I tried to reach is it's kind of deconstruction, deconstructing modern myths for women. So the desire to be engaged and be in a committed relationship, to have a baby, to get the biggest ring possible, the biggest 
diamond possible. It gets into weddings, family problems. Then there's a whole diversity thing um, with a woman in a fast food joint, which kind of um, is all about people attempting um, to be diverse without actually engaging with it properly. Um, it's so meta I, I mean, it's like her within her, within her, within her. It's like a, a stream of consciousness moment in her head that somehow ended up on screen. It's exec produced by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Um, so, you know, this has all of the star power and all of the brains behind it. But I have to tell you that I could not make head and tails of what were going on or what it was meant to be. <laughs> and I really respect her for doing... This is unlike anything else on telly at all. It's a bit like lots of other things, but in its totality, it's nothing like anything else you'll see. It's not traditional sitcom at all. It's not stand-up, but it's all of the things at the same time. Um, some of the material, if you take out the way it's presented, which is dead confusing, some of the material is a little bit funny. Um a, quite a lot of it for me fell flat and it just didn't hang together as a cohesive, cogent programme. I wasn't sure what it was meant to be doing and in what way it was meant to be doing it. I I didn't feel like it was kind of tra um, blazing a trail with a brand new format that we're all going to be, you know, suddenly seeing repeats of with other comedians or other writers it was just there was a lot going on in lots of different ways. I couldn't tell how it was narratively all kind of joined together other than being about her and by her. Um, and I just felt like, to be honest, it was a, a real mess. Um, and I, yeah, that's kind of, I feel bad for saying all of this because, as I say, I like her. I think she's really interested. I think she's really bold. I think this is a very bold show <laughs> but i don't feel like it's slick or um or in any way kind of doing anything radical in its execution it feels like a mess in its execution and i find it incredibly hard to follow and that for me then affected how a lot of the jokes landed because you weren't aware of kind of the context in which it was being kind of said and it, it it's it a mess because there's a fine line between being bold and wildly self-indulgent and i think yes. this is the wrong side of that line yes void were you a fan well uh, yeah bold is the word bold is you cannot avoid the the bold word for this show um and i admire it i do admire it and there are elements of it that i really enjoy i think for me the the best element of it is that it, it's self-awareness and the stuff about the meta stuff about the fact that she's making a sitcom about herself. So the stuff, you know, she's on the bus and it's like, oh. you know, she's not just breaking the fourth wall, but she's actually pointing out that everyone on the bus is an extra yeah. and they're part of the sitcom. And I quite, I like that. You're, James is oh, shaking. I just I hated seriously. that so much. I wanted it's to disgusted. punch everyone on the screen. Disgusted. I liked that element of it. And I like, I thought the, the, the discussion about representation and, and all of that, that, that Terry referred to. I, I thought that was interesting and provocative and dealing with that in an interesting way which I hadn't seen before and as Terry said there isn't anything like it, it's different um, and it's it, it's you know it, it's absolutely a reflection of a sense of an ambition and boldness and in fact the quote that I found that um, Sarah Pascoe herself said about this show which I think kind of I think she's want this quote out there it needs to be out there is 
My show is a direct expression of my mind. We've turned my brain into a theme park and everyone's invited. And I think that does sum it up. So I think the ramshackleness that you're talking about, which is undeniable, it is almost like part of the whole aim of it. I think it's deliberately ramshackle. It's deliberately all over the place. It's deliberately messy. It is a hot mess of a show. But I only enjoyed it about a third to a half of the time and I did find it slightly irritating. I wrote about it, I wrote a preview of it and I said, you know, I think a lot of people will just find it irritating and I don't think you can get around that. I think that is the, the, my honest response to it. But I did enjoy But I did enjoy a lot of it as well. And, I, and I, you know, I kind of feel I want to carry on with it because I, I think, you know, you have to reward boldness yeah. and, and trying something different, you know, in this, in this world, in, on, in TV. And it's, and, and so I, I really, but I do admire it more than I love it. I mean, that is that I can't deny that. I just, I don't know what <laughs> crime I would have to commit to deserve having to watch more of this. I found this deeply, profoundly, life-alteringly irritating. I could, it's 27 minutes long and I, barely made it to the end of the first episode without clawing the eyeballs out of my head i just i can't tell you what this did to me it's just i and admittedly as someone who is quite arch and smug you would think that i'm quite open to these things but this was so smug and so self-indulgent but also really boring and rambling and kind of almost semi-improvisational in that it just seemed quite as you said ramshackle in the way it was put together one scene kind of crashed into the next scene you didn't really know where it was going it was hard to kind of get invested and then you keep being bumped out into this framing device in this warehouse space where they're watching it on a screen in roller skates and kind of <laughs> semi-leotards with rainbow colorings and it's just i just no just make it go away this was this was like some weird you know fever dream nightmare thing for me and obviously it's a comedy as well which didn't help but uh, no i i i really 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 did not like this and i also do think sarah pasco is generally very good mm. so this is definitely not me saying oh she's rubbish because she's not i just this me feels like a folly of the highest order to me personally you know your mileage may vary perhaps but i think i think boyd's got an interesting point right which is i imagine if i was a female writer a funny female writer, there's a certain expectation of the kind of sitcom or the kind of show you're going to write at the moment. And I think we've talked about all of this before, how I May Destroy You will get thrown in with I Hate Susie and Fleabag will get thrown in. There's there's kind of a, yeah, yeah. a set way that people are, con uh, are expecting those shows to be at the moment. And I imagine if I was Sarah Pascoe, I might think, you know what, fucking stick it up your arse. Like, because I think <laughs> there is a a sense of the way women should write and perform sitcoms at the moment. And I think people kind of like if they can group them all together and, and women can be um, said to be creating sitcoms of a certain ilk. And I, I don't know if there's a part of her, I can't speak to her motivations, but that is like, I'm going to do something completely different that you are going to find hard to pigeonhole. Um, and I'm not going to kind of fit within those parameters that maybe you think's all right. I, I, I kind of really respect, to Boyd's point, that sentiment, right? I respect that sentiment of going, I'm just going to rip it all up and do exactly what I want. But as, yeah, as a viewer, I found it really, really hard to follow. Um, and it made the overall th thing feel weak to me, even the funny bits, because I just didn't feel like it was a cohesive piece of television. Yeah. 
I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. But anyway, should you wish to watch Out of Her Mind for some reason, it airs on BBC Two <laughs> on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Next up, we have Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, which dropped on Netflix last Friday, but we're only now able to talk about thanks to the embargo. Now, this uh, picks up from the end of Season 2 as it's, I guess, traditional with the third season. Uh, and this is hmm. Michael Burnham and the crew of the Discovery no longer sharing a timeline with Captain Pike and the Enterprise, but instead catapulted into the distant future, specifically 800 years from where they started. So no longer is the ship this technological marvel with a mushroom drive, but an antique trying to survive in a hostile galaxy. <laughs> exciting! But let's hear about just how exciting it is. Boyd, make it so. <laughs> um, it is exciting. It's it's it, you know for I think for a show I think it makes sense for a show like this to totally reboot in the middle of its run and kind of try something different. So you know to throw the whole thing forward into thirty one eighty eight and um, give them, I think give them a whole new because um, I think when it's a prequel a prequel series I, I enjoyed the first two series a lot and and part of the enjoyment of it was seeing how they're going to connect this these characters and their world to Star Trek, classic Star Trek that I still maintain is the best Star Trek and that I grew up on and I loved and I love still to this day. And I was always intrigued by that and how and the kind of the threads that connected um, that this series to that were, were interesting. But having said that, I think it does it does kind of tie you down, doesn't it? It does make it a different thing to, of course, the original Star Trek, which had a kind of Doctor Who-like freedom and it could go anywhere. It could go back mm. in time and forward in time, different planets, you know, different areas of the Earth. It, was, had, it had a real freedom to that. That, that, and I think this, for me, having watched, I watched the first three of the four episodes that they made available. And by the third, I felt it had really found its feet. And the third episode of this, and I'll be trying not to give anything away for, because people get furious at fucking spoilers with this, won't they? More than anything. Because it's <laughs> dropping weekly. You said it dropped yes, on it. It's, it's dropping weekly. It's going out every the day after it airs in America on CBS All Access. So it's not a Netflix thing to go back to your your thing about binging. No, it you is one a week. So we've had episode one yeah. as we go so out. So we've had episode one. I've seen two and three. You may have seen I've four seen all as four. well. <laughs> of course you have. But I thought by three, it, re it really felt like original classic Star Trek. And yet with this new, interesting, diverse crew some new characters um, and D David Ajala's in it um, as this character book Chris Cleveland book Booker he's he's the the guy that um, that Michael meets in the very first episode and he's a really interesting foil to her uh, David Ajala of course another British actor another black British actor doing really well he's basically mm. the co-lead in this series seemingly and he's doing brilliantly in America and you know another example of kind of that America's the place to go if you're a young black British actor or and you really want to kind of get incredible roles um this this is what's happening now in the world of um, american tv he's great i really like the way he, he kind of bounced off um uh Sinecra martin green yeah, I think their that banter is great their banter is great and there's a real chemistry there's a kind of will they won't they are they aren't they thing going on there which you know could be glib and you know fast off but actually i think it's playing out really well um so I'm enjoying it. I think it's beautiful. You know, it's beautiful. The first episode, which I think they filmed in Iceland, looks stunning, and in, in you know looks as stunning, I think, as the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film reboots that he did. Mm. And in fact, I think there is a visual. I feel like there's a visual connection there. That like particularly the first episode felt it looked like the climax of the first episode looked exactly like um, some stuff in from his films with lens flare and everything going on. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's really enjoyable. I think it's you know I don't think it's yet. I don't think it's quite. Quite 
reaching the heights that one might hope, but I think it's potentially will. I feel like it's there. I think you're getting, I think the characters are becoming more three-dimensional and interesting. And I'm really, I'm, I, I'm definitely going to carry on watching. I think it's a really enjoyable, um, and I think the boldness of shifting the time forward is giving it a real freedom that is benefiting the show. Yeah, it's definitely the thing to do. I think they they were hamstrung before because the canon hamstrungs them naturally because they were they were operating in an existing timeline where you know there's certain things can and can't happen and that restricts them from a storyline point of view narratively it's 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 really problematic so to do this they've done they've They've sort of, then sh- it's exactly what J.J. Abrams actually did with the first Star Trek movie, where you take something which is young Kirk, and again, you're hamstrung by canon. So they created an alternate timeline mm-hmm. to get around those narrative constraints. And here, they've catapulted beyond Next Generation to an area that we've never explored before in Star Trek, which in itself is extremely exciting. It gives them freedom, but it also gives them freedom not just, you know, to, to weave around canon, but to introduce new technologies, new races, a new universe, a new mythology. It's almost a completely new show. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think this was an absolutely genius move i mean terry you must have been thrilled with the way that it fits into the existing star trek canon i mean you know i think the canon is really important and i think you know the the, the use of phasers as canon or non-canon you know really what we should be focusing on here guys look i had no fucking clue what was happening but i and i watched i watched the first episode and these are my observations um Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, she is dynamite on screen. She is so brilliant and compelling. Um, Got this weird, and obviously I don't know the reasoning behind any of these things. She's got a real air of kind of melancholy, um, but she can also totally kick ass. And her chemistry with Book, played by David Ajala, is incredible. There's a really great fight scene. Um, there's clearly going to be, you know, do they hate each other? Do they love to hate each other? Um, it looks incredible. The location that Boyd's speaking of, I, I was reading it was filmed in Iceland and it looks absolutely gorgeous. So, you know, I watched one of these previously, two of these previously when we reviewed it on this podcast and then never again um, did I go there. (laughs) And so I have no idea about timelines or cannons or (laughs) phasing stunners or stunning phases, but I enjoyed this. Like there's something, there is something kind of, uh, weirdly mournful and elegaic about it and um, I'm not quite sure what she's grappling with but she's grappling with something finding her ship or her people or something um, but yeah lovely chemistry and actually I'll tell you what I appreciated as somebody who often uh, rips these kind of shows and James you watching them um, <laughs> the kind of de- I appreciate the details in the characterization of this this was treated like proper drama almost yeah, um, it's almost like it's a proper TV show, Terry. Not, James, I mean, there's, I think there's like a script and everything. So uh, I'm not going to watch any more, clearly. But, um, but they were I mean, lovely you, you, together. You've got 156 episodes of West Wing to watch. So. I know, yeah, that's do you true. know what I mean? They were, lovely to, they were lovely together. I think the, the characters seem really nice and it looks dead good. 
Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. Isn't it? The thing about Star Trek, historically, Star Trek has always been consistently inconsistent. So every single, doesn't matter which Star Trek it is, there's a significant percentage of shit in every Star Trek. There's no get away from it. And some of the shit is incredibly entertaining. Um, now, I watched the first four of these, two of which I thought were storming episodes and two of which I thought were a bit flat. And that's pretty much Star Trek in a nutshell, I think. I think Discovery's had a better hit-to-miss ratio than most of them. Certainly early on it was. Like, it had a great first season and Star Trek never has great first seasons but um this works really well the first episode again it's it's her and book are a lot of that and their relationship is great i think mixing it up and exploring this new galaxy this new timeline does make this show feel fresh like completely reinvented it is a different show and it's a bold new era for star trek to explore uh, you know a timeline and technologies and ships like i was saying before that we've never seen before that's really exciting and then you get into episode two and it felt a little bit you know situation of the weeky and i was like oh god but then episode three really picks it up again episode three is really really good and Mm. episode four is an interesting one but again is maybe less successful but we do you know we do get david ajala in it who is great and as we've said Mm. he's 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 brilliantly british you know saying bollocks and piss off and various things Mm -hmm. which i find incredibly entertaining um Ian Alexander turns up, uh, I should say, in episode four as as Grey, a Trill character. And Blue Del Barrio, who uh, plays a non-binary character called Adira, turns up in episode three. So we've got some new faces coming in here as well. I miss some of the old faces. I miss Shazad Latif, who stayed behind in the past as Ash Tyler. I thought he was great. He was one of my favourite characters. So that is a bit of a loss. And... But I do think Michelle Yeoh is an absolute delight as the former empress of the yeah, mirror universe, is, who's just she's, <laughs> yeah, she is psychotic, fantastic. and she's yeah. so much fun, and she's she's great yeah. value. So I think she makes up for a lot. The one thing this made me realise, though, and I kind of knew this anyway, but it kind of hit home for me, is that when you get into episode two, which is a very introspective, very discovery-led episode, you realise that. The main thing that sort of separates this, I think, from from some of the other series is, and especially from Picard, so this is very much about cinematic spectacle. Discovery is all about the spectacle and things external to the discovery a lot of the time, whereas Picard is very character-led. And the problem with this is when you have a an episode like episode two, which is very much about the crew, you realise that unlike most Star Trek series, the crew here is quite forgettable to the extent that I, after this is the third season, I still cannot name all of the characters on the bridge and that's Mm. unusual like they are normally much more memorable much more engaged you have much more uh, involvement with a lot of the individual crew members and it makes me realize now that after two seasons we've not spent a lot of time with Kayla Detmer I don't really know much about her I know she's had some episode stuff so we know a little bit about her backstory and her implants but I feel a little bit like they need to work harder, not because these characters are bland, because frankly, Enterprise ran for a shitload of seasons and everyone in there was as vanilla as they come. But, uh, you know, maybe to give them more screen time, to give them more to do, to make the individual characters stand out more and have more sort of inner life. Because I think it's that's the one area where this is lacking. Michael Burnham, absolutely. Inner life up the wazoo. Saru, same. Even Tilly, we know loads about and Stamets. But I think some of the others need a little bit of space and maybe now that ash tyler isn't it anymore and we've lost a few characters maybe we'll give them more you know more room to grow but we'll see i think you're right it is a shame that Sh- shazad latif's not in it yeah he was he, very very he good was, he was really good and you know he is clem fandango so yeah, yeah. and he rocked he rocked that beard like nothing else he really um, did yeah yes that was good but anyway this is this is uh this is star trek discovery it is great if you love star trek and in fact great even if you don't but uh this is airing every friday new episodes dropping every friday on netflix you can watch episode one now and you know episode two next friday 
Right, let's get on to the last show as we move into the 18th hour of this episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have Twenties, which aired in the US back in March. Uh, this is a kind of semi-autobiographical comedy. <laughs> uh, this, this, this is a theme this week. Uh, this one's written by Lena Waithe and centres around Hattie, a queer aspiring screenwriter in LA and her two straight best friends, Marie and Nia. Terry, was this more successful for you than Out of Her Mind? Okay, so... This is really interesting, and I I feel like this is actually um, really quite radical in what it's doing, but much more successfully than maybe shows we've discussed earlier in this podcast. So, Twenties is a single camera scripted comedy show, and semi autobiographical. I think really quite semi autobiographical because essentially it's um, it's this girl Hattie who is a queer young black woman. I think she's 24. Um, She is played by the incredible Janika T. Gibbs, who I'll come back to in a minute. And it's very much about her. um, She lives in LA, trying to make it in LA, trying to be a writer in LA, and her relationship with her two best mates who are straight, Maria and Nia. Um, This wider cast is Christine Elmore, Gabrielle Graham, Sophie Grant, and Big Sean, which is very exciting. I just thought this was fascinating from the get-go. It opens on um, this sex scene between her and this girl she's dating. Um, And right from the get-go, there's this really interesting kind of style to this show, which I wasn't expecting. In some ways, it's a bit... It looks a bit la-la land in places, oddly, and it plays with, like, um, touches of old Hollywood. So it's kind of um, palm trees and bleached, and then there'll be kind of these orchestral moments, which are are literally like old Hollywood sweeping orchestral waves, really, I suppose. Really interesting style-wise. I really loved it. Really colourful, really soft, gorgeous use of light. It it's kind of feels like a love letter to LA in some respects and to Hollywood. Um, but this girl, Hattie, at the heart of it, I her character is so fascinating. So essentially she's down on her look at the start. She finds herself without anywhere to live um, and she's desperate to make it in Hollywood as a writer. Um, she gets introduced to um, a woman called Ida B, who's kind of the one very, very, very few successful black women within television um, that she meets and who hopefully she's helping. She's hoping will help her achieve a similar success and um, she essentially goes for this job as an assistant. But it's really about this relationship she has with her two straight friends who each have their own private lives and their own things that they're grappling with. But it just feels really modern because of, of the situations they're exploring and you have never, ever seen a girl like Hattie in a show like this, hmm. I was racking my brain. And honestly, I cannot ever remember seeing a queer, black, 20-something young woman like this. And Janika T. Gibbs, who plays her, I just think is absolutely dynamite. She's everything. She's so, the way she moves on screen, it, there's this ease and this kind of fluidity to her. And she's got this real quiet kind of star quality and it's really hard to describe, but I just found her absolutely 
compelling and you're invested in her and everything working out for her right from the get-go. The other two friends, you sense that their characters, I presume as the series kind of rolls on, their characters will get kind of rounded out more. The writing, as you'd expect from Lena Waithe, is just pin-sharp, precise, completely realistic. Um, I just, oh, there's just something about the rhythm and the style of this that I really, really loved. And it, even though it's like smooth and easy and stylish and all these things, it does feel to me quietly radical in what it's showing and and this girl at the heart of it and what it's showing about her friendships and even just the use of music in this um i i really kind of fell in love with this show i have to say and it made me fall in love with that version of of la and i loved these little pull-ins of iconic kind of hollywood old school style as well i just thought it was really really interesting how the whole world was built um i really really want to watch all of the rest of this and and janika t gibbs is is going to be a massive 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 star i really do think so yeah, it's uh, it's really different, and I think um, it's all, all kinds of unexpected things happening, like the fact that they go to see this Beth Davis movie, um, you know, this outdoor screening, and they're like, "We're the only black people here." Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's really funny. Um, I love the running joke. So when she goes to see the um, the, the her, her the future boss Ida B, who's this big TV, as you say, this big TV executive who's very powerful and rich in a massive house in the Hollywood Hills, and her assistant can't open the fucking door. <laughs> That's it's hilarious. So massive heavy door of this house, and if you've seen like um, Selling Sunset, you'd, it's a one of those houses um, in LA that is just astonishing. And um, when um, Hattie goes to like, shows itself around the house, I thought that was a brilliant scene. Um, it's it, and the, the scenes I love the scenes where she's talking to her mum. They're hilarious. Mm. Like her mum is so funny. Um, that kind of openness between them, played by Kim Whitley, is fantastic. I totally agree. I, it's just got a kind of um, and I think what it is because the the uh, the poster quote is "Your twenties are a work of art," and the title, the clues in the title, I think. She She's trying to capture um, that general feel in, in in your 20s where the whole your whole future's ahead of you and you have a freedom and there's a kind of freewheeling quality to life in a way. Because I think actually, you know, if you think about it, it, it you know, it, it, life couldn't be more um, distressing right now. I mean, as we speak for people in their 20s, generally, it's, you know, it's it like it's probably the worst time ever to have to face what you do, you know, in, in these times, this kind of viral times. But this is feels like in a kind of escape to a world where she has this freedom and she can feel like she's you know she's just been thrown out she's just been made homeless right at the beginning of this show and her her response to that is to sit there in her armchair on the street reading a book and having a nice old time and then her mates arrive and they're like what the fuck are you doing you know you got a sna- yeah James sna- Baldwin book yeah she's a James, James Baldwin, Baldwin book yeah, yeah Phil Street um, could talk exactly mm. so I just feel it, it's trying to capture that that essence and i think it's doing a really good job it's funny it's really well scripted i think the characters are fascinating as you say you just haven't seen it's a whole the character you have not seen this this woman on tv before in this kind of show i think it's great i i i completely agree i think it's fantastic it is so well written isn't it it's just it's mm. genuinely and it's it's surprising it's funny i mean i'm not going to repeat everything you both just said but yes i thought this was 
It's really surprised me. <laughs> this is really, really, really good. I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic. I'll definitely want to be watching more of this one, um, which is the complete opposite of how I felt about the other comedy this week. And funnily enough, there's an actual line where her mates call her a hot mess in this in this first episode. <laughs> I feel She's vindicated. officially described as a hot mess. <laughs> She's an official hot mess. <laughs> I was thinking of you at that point. I was thinking mm-hmm. you're probably you're probably like cheering, doing it, doing it. Yeah, like very excited that night. Yeah. But, well, I like it because she's not um she's not like a. Bits of her life aren't working, but she isn't crippled mm. with. We're used to Absolutely, seeing women yeah. of that age crippled with insecurities and self doubt. And you know, there's a there's a hint that she might actually be a bit. Maybe she doesn't want it as much as she says because she's not actually writing. She's yeah. desperate to be a writer, and yeah. her mate basically says, "Well, why aren't you writing?" Yeah. And you know, she knows she has the talent. She has a confidence and an air of assurance that I love because mm. a great deal is made out of insecure, broken. Mm young women in their 20s who are desperate to get somewhere but are are their own kind of worst enemy in terms of holding themselves back. She isn't like that at all. She has a confidence and a poise and a self-assuredness and there's no kind of big sense of her struggling with her sexuality or all of these things we're used to seeing, I think, when it focuses on queer people in their 20s. None of that struggle is there, and that's not to say that struggle doesn't exist, but it has a joy and a there's a contentment to her that I think is really bold because those there people do feel like that. There are a lot of people who are 24 who are so comfortable in their sexuality and, and know that they've still got time to have the career they want and to not show it to always be pain and, and difficulty, I think is that feels radical mm-hmm. to me. It yeah. comes from a very 100%. real place, which I really liked about it. And she's she's a very self-assured character. As you say, she's very, very comfortable in her own identity. You know, it, it's insightful. It's funny. It, yeah, it's great. I highly recommend this, just as you both do. Um, and 20s airs, having aired a while ago in the US, uh, the beginning of the year, this airs on BBC Three, beginning on Sunday, October the 25th. It's all arriving in one go. As a all arriving set, in so one you, go, as all great TV shows yeah. should. I won't be watching it all in one go. <laughs> no, but that's only because you've got the West Wing to watch. Now, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is, of course, other stuff out this week, including, bizarrely, on Wednesday, October the 21st at 9pm on Fox UK, the Minority Report TV series arrives, despite having been cancelled about five years ago, <laughs> which yeah. is when it aired in the States. That's a very odd thing to suddenly acquire, but sure, um, that is Fox- a kind of... Is showing a lot of stuff that's already been cancelled. Yeah, by the it's way. like a that procedural based on the film. I mean, sure, if yeah. you're really bored, go for it. Um, Billions is back on Sky Atlantic on Wednesday uh, at 9 p.m., which is exciting. What season is this, Boyd? Fifth, I think. Fifth season of Billions. I really need to yeah. go back and watch that from the beginning. I've never, I've never pressed on with Billions. So I really should do because it's very good. Um, the third season of Sci-Fi's uh, Mental Mermaid series, Siren, <laughs> also kicks off at nine PM on October twenty-first. So if you don't want to watch Billions, you want some mermaid action, you can watch that instead. Uh, the Alienist Angel of Darkness. Uh, it drops on Thursday on Netflix. This is season two, is it, technically, of The Alienist, Boyd? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. we reviewed season one of this, which I rather enjoyed, but never pressed on with. Uh, this is, of course, the Daniel Brühl, Dakota Fanning, sort of strange criminal psychologist drama set back in the 19th century. Um, but yeah, if you want more of that, then that is coming as well. What else, Boyd? 
Um, there's a Netflix limited series um, starting on Friday called The Queen's Gambit, which has a great, which has Anya Taylor Joy playing. Um, it's like a real life story of a chess prodigy, an American chess chess prodigy in the fifties and sixties. Um, and Thomas Brody Sangster is also in it, um, and it looks interesting. Yeah, but um, I haven't given me screeners yet. But that's a big like seven eight parter, uh, all arriving on Netflix on Friday. Hmm. And, of course, more important than any of that, all seven seasons of The West Wing land on all four on the 21st of October. Yes. Uh, what would be your pick of the week, people? Star Trek Discovery. Excellent. Let's move on to the... Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I think even you, even you might have to acknowledge that Twenties is the pick 20s. of the week. I, I mean, it is, oh, isn't it? It probably is, if I'm honest with you. I mean, obviously, yes. Discovery yes. is my pick of the week. But, yes, Twenties is probably... Yes. Grudgingly, I'll give yes. you that. Fine, fine, fine. Let's very quickly, before we all die of old age, uh, Banshee something this week. I'm I'm going to kick off for a change this week, and I'm going to start with Spartacus. Spartacus, the TV series, which I could have sworn I'd done before, but had been informed I haven't. I consulted the spreadsheet, and apparently I haven't. So Spartacus, which began as Spartacus Blood and Sand, and was soon renamed Spartacus Boobs and Balls, was essentially a kind of <laughs> gladiator-inspired, slightly pulpy stars series. This came from Stephen, Stephen Denight and Robert Tappert, and uh, it starred Andy Whitfield as a gladiator who gets called into the Batiatus Gladiator clan, uh, run by Lucy Lawless and John Hanna, who spend a disproportionate amount of this show in the nud, banging away in the background. <laughs> like The amount, <laughs> amount of boobs and dicks on display in this show is quite extraordinary to the point where i was watching this on my ipad to and from work and i had to stop doing it because of all the looks i got because they had much time fucking as they do actually fighting in the arena and Jai pervert yeah it is and Jai courtney is in this and if you've ever wanted to see Jai courtney's gladius then this is your opportunity so you know <laughs> have at me but what's really interesting about this is it's quite trashy but it was really fun but it was also really sad so andy whitfield who plays the main character this is kind of the spartacus character he was diagnosed with non-hodgkin lymphoma when he was doing the first season so season two had to be delayed so instead of continuing the story they did a kind of a prequel second season called spartacus gods of the arena which was sent uh, uh, centered around a different character and some of this, it still had John Hanna and Lucy Lawless it was set in the same place but it was kind of a prequel thing to give him time for treatment and the tragic thing was he died of lymphoma during the shooting of that and was unable to return to the role so they recast the role of Spartacus with Liam McIntyre taking on that character for season three now to my great shame I never saw season three or four of this it ran for four seasons so you had the first one Blood and Sand you had the second one Gods of the Arena which was a prequel then you had Spartacus Vengeance then you had Spartacus War of the Damned it's slightly confusing that they've all got different names but it became more epic and about him leading an insurrection against the Romans you know as it went on by all account very good but I think the recasting of it because I really really liked Andy Whitfield in that role and I kind of struggled, I think, with having someone else in it, so I never pressed on with it. But it was a really good show. And, like I say, if you're looking for a bit of softcore porn, it had loads of that in there as well. So it has a little bit of something for everyone. Swordsmanship of every kind. Wasn't it filmed in that kind of 300, very heightened stylized not style, quite as it? heightened as that but yes it was a right. bit like that i remember like the blood splatter being very like cartoony and yeah there's a yeah. lot of that there's a lot of that but it's uh it, it was a fun show but again john hannah and lucy lawless camped this up to the 
thousandth degree. It's just insanity. And Lucy Lawless, who basically doesn't get clothes, really, at any point in the show. Uh, Manu Bennett is in this as Crixus, who's like the kind of their, their most famous gladiator who's shagging Lucy Lawless on the side because she wasn't Does, having enough sex with John Hanna. Um, yeah. Does John Hanna get his knob out as well? I don't remember if you see uh, if you see John Hanna's longsword. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say for sure. Didn't, he, didn't we go through a phase of, of John Hanna's... Uh, Hawk sword being on display quite a lot. So yeah, I we, remember. It would seem that if it isn't out Ooh. in this, it would seem wildly inconsistent with everyone else because presumably it was part mm. of their part of their contract that they had to be full frontal at some point during this uh, during this show. But uh, yeah, very very porny. Spartacus boobs and balls. You can watch it. Um, all four seasons <laughs> can be found streaming on Now TV if you have that. Otherwise, you can of course pick up the bot sets relatively cheap. Who's next? Um, I'll go, and this was uh, chosen for me this week because I was um, I was running out, and uh, Daniel, um, who is my baby daddy, <laughs> recommended Eerie Indiana. Oh, which did you realise this only ever ran for one season? In my head, it was like a massive multi-season thing, but no. And I know it's kind of you could argue it's a kid show, but. I think it was more kind of smart kids and uh, childish adults. Um, So this is horror, sci-fi, and everybody actually puts down the genius of Eerie Indiana to Joe Dante, who was a creative consultant, but actually I think directed something like eight or nine out of the eventual, I think there were 17 episodes, Uh, 19, sorry, 19 episodes. So... um, this, as we know, was about Marshall Teller, a teenage lad played by Omri Katz who um, moved to the town of Erie, Indiana, and he meets a small group of quite normal people, normal kids in Indiana, but Indy Erie itself is really weird and there's like, um, what's it called, Bigfoot, there's still alive Elvis Presley, loads of weird shit uh, that goes down. And it's actually very funny, tongue-in-cheek in places, a little bit scary, very weird. Um, and one season only, 19 episodes, you can buy it from Amazon Prime Video. That's the only place you can get it in the UK. Mm. Are we opening the door now to kids' shows? Next week, I'm going to do The Mysterious well, Cities of Gold. Means- oh, God, love fucking Mysterious <laughs> Cities of Gold. Don't start me on that. Sing the song. Sing the song. Oh, no. You sing the song. No. <laughs> oh, someday we will I find. I don't think it was. The city's I don't think gold. it was entirely a kids' show anyway. At it all. wasn't. I, no. I always thought it was like one. One. It was like because Buffy's not a ki- like a ki- an actual kids' show, is it? It's like that for me, surely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe it's. I'm just thinking. Yeah. It was on the Disney Channel, etc. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Mickey Mouse was All in right. it, but other than that, it wasn't a kids' show. <laughs> <laughs> I picked an animated show that's definitely not a kids' show. Um, I have picked the Ricky Gervais show, which was a TV series that ran for three seasons. This is kind of after he did The Office and Extras, after him and Stephen Merchant did The Office and Extras. And he was doing um, his radio show originally for XFM with the two of them and Carl Pilkington. And once they became a phenomenon, the three of them, they HBO kind of slightly bizarrely turned their radio show and podcast kind of just them wittering on together into this animated series that went out on HBO um, in the States and I think Channel 4 over here. And it's just like, for me, it's like just the the joy of listening to these three people that are 
intrinsically funny and that I love, just wittering on aimlessly um, for half an hour each episode. Um, and, and the would animation- you like it when people yeah. did that? Why would you like it when three people witter on aimlessly in every episode? I don't exactly. understand the appeal of that, boy. That sounds dreadful. Uh, I know. It is unbelievable, <laughs> but it's true. And then the animation just kind of like um, just visualises the, the ludicrous worlds that they go to, the ludicrous ideas they enunciate. And I, I'm and it's all on um, Now TV and Sky box sets, by the way. It's all there. It's repeated on the Comedy Central channel here as well. Um, so it's under the Comedy Central banner, I think, if you're looking for it on Now TV or Sky. But it's so enjoyable just to like, just ha- almost you could have it on the background, like when um, Terry falls asleep to Law and Order SVU. I can like, fall, I can just have this on, just them witchering on, being funny and natural and joyous is great. So yeah, that's my Banshee this week. Wow. And that marks the end of another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. I was shocked and appalled this week to discover that our Apple Podcast rating has dipped to an average of 4.5 stars. So I encourage all of you to head over there and address this grave injustice, even even if it's to leave such self-evident pandering as Jandieg did when they left a review simply titled Terry with the review, Terry sounds so sexy. So, if you too find Terry's voice gets you all hot under the collar, then feel free to tuck those five-star ratings in the thong of this particular podcast over at Apple Podcasts now. We are all on social media, at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White, where we are charming, amusing, and informative, and our various musings will tide you over until next week, when we're going to have to make some hard choices. There seems to be a lot happening. So, not only are Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman arriving on Sky in the undo but Nick Frost's Truth Seekers lands on Amazon and Neil Cross's The Sister comes to ITV. But more important than any of those is that season two of The Mandalorian arrives on Disney Plus on Friday the 30th, an occasion so momentous it's only eclipsed by the fact that we will almost certainly not get to see it before the show. Um, (laughs) We definitely won't get to see it before the show. We definitely won't get to see it before the show, so we'll have to do it after that. Um, But anyway, we'll see what we do end up seeing next week. You'll find out in the next episode episode in the meantime of course do bring up your diary and make a note october 21st all four the west wing you'll never make a better appointment in your life pilot out